When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome everyone to Modern Day Debate. We are a neutral, non-partisan platform welcoming everyone from all walks of life. If you're looking for even more fantastic debates, we are all over the internet, including your favorite podcasting platform. So if you enjoy debates, Please don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe, including tonight's debate on Is There a God? With our debaters, Ben Berjais and Nadir Ahmed, here to help us find out. I overshot, that's what you get. And if you enjoy what either of them have to say tonight, our guest links are in the description below. You can also tag me in chat at Amy Newman with your question or comment for our Q&A section. Those super chats will get yours sent to the top of the list. With that, I am going to hand it over to you, Nadir, for your up to 10 minute opening statement. The floor is all yours. Oh, I think uh, da, 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 da. you got to unmute. That Here was you go. Me. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, thank you. So, sorry about that. Uh -huh. Yeah, so the topic is going to be, you know, why we believe in God. Is there a God? Uh, I think the, the most convincing evidence for that is the Quran itself in that it is a scientific miracle. And I'll be presenting evidences from the Quran which will prove that this book is something supernatural based on the scientific information in it. Now, there's two kinds of evidences in the Quran. There's, there's one which is that there are verses in the Quran which agree with modern science, which scientists have only recently discovered. This information didn't exist 1,400 years ago. The second one is that the Quran actually corrects the scientific errors of the Bible. And so... 99% of the time, we always debate with the atheist, the first one, and we debate the second one with the Christians. But tonight's going to be a little bit different. Um, I, I gave my notes to uh, Burgess to for the second one. and and uh, But that's okay, because even in that debate, it is a question which atheists have to answer. The question which atheists have to answer is, how do you, from, 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 a, you know, from an atheist perspective, the Bible is just a book. It's just a book of history, but that book contains many scientific errors. 
So regardless of what kind of book it is, the atheists have to answer, how is Muhammad coming 600 years later and correcting these scientific errors? And that's the challenge which I'm going to present to uh, Dr. Burgess today. So yeah, and he's cool with it. He's okay with with that perspective, because, you know, mostly atheists don't touch the Bible, they don't care about the Bible, and that's fine, you know, but he, he's okay, and I think he agreed to these to these terms. So anyways, let me begin. The first scientific error, which we're going to find, and we're going to, uh, well, let me, let me first list them all re real quick. You see, in the Bible, you'll see Jesus, he, or the Bible talks about the mustard seed, talked about meat consumption, it talked about uh, washing hands, it talked about uh, how to treat the epileptic, and and uh, it also talks about alcohol. Now, what's interesting is Islam comes 600 years later and talks about those same exact things. So this cannot be a coincidence. What is Muhammad trying to do here? So as I mentioned, all those issues which I've talked to you about, they're all scientific errors in the Bible. In fact, let me go and share my desktop here real quick so we can look at that. And so if Muhammad was just doing a copy job from the Bible, well, that's a very unwise thing to do because what's going to happen is you're going to copy over those scientific errors. So let me just go very quickly and I'm going to breeze through this very quickly. I only got 10 minutes. I'll ask you just please hit pause on the YouTube video to get all my notes. The Bible says that the mustard seed is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. It's the smallest of all seeds. But that's actually not true. Um, we now know that orchid seeds are more smaller. Now, what's very interesting is the Quran also uses a mustard seed analogy. Let's see if he falls into the trap and says that this is a smallest seed. It says inside chapter number 21, verse 47, it says, and even if there be the weight of a mustard seed, we will bring it up. But guess what's missing? You got it. The scientifically incorrect portion that this is the smallest seed. The mustard seed is not the smallest seed. So you could say, okay, maybe the author of the Quran got lucky. Okay, that's very possible. But let's keep going. The, the scientific miracle which I'm talking about is not like, you know, one instance, one dodge, as you can see over here. But the scientific miracle here is a consistent pattern of these type of corrections, or in this case, dodging. So let's take a look at a more serious, okay, serious issue. The Bible also talks about alcohol. However, the Quran comes uh, 600 years later and gives a scientifically correct answer to alcohol. And that is you shouldn't drink it. This is actually what science says. And as a result, so there's this recent uh, you know, uh, research which was done, the scientific study, which says Muslim women are 50 times less likely to give birth to a child with birth defects, something known as fetal alcohol syndrome. And that is a direct result of the teachings of the Quran, as you can see on your screen here. So that's the first scientifically correct statement. But the Quran rolls the dice again on alcohol. And it tells us that, um, that there's more harm than good in alcohol, as we can see over here. This is first, let me go and show you what study, what well, I'm sorry, what this is from the CNN article. What does science say about alcohol? Many studies have shown that the overall health risk of drinking alcohol outweighs any benefits. Go to the Quran, chapter 2, verse 229. Uh, they have some benefits for the people, but the harm is far greater than their benefit. Word for word agreement on, uh, you know, on the science behind alcohol. So here we see the Quran. Once again, these are, th um, once again, dodges a bullet of the scientific errors 
of the Bible. So be, uh, because the, the right dosage really is zero because you have children, you have women. And so once again, the Quran gives a fantastic answer on that. Sec, uh, the third scientific error, or yeah, third scientific error. The Bible re removes all restrictions on meat consumption, as you can see from the following article over here. That's not a smart thing to do. Why? Because there's animals you don't want to eat, like monkeys and bats, which those those contain, by, by consuming them, you get diseases such as uh, COVID. COVID comes from the bat. You get uh, Ebola and AIDS, which comes from monkey. The impact is, as a result, all over the world, Christians eat this monkey meat, okay? And, and this is... And, and this is a huge threat to mankind because they contain, because you, you this is how you're going to get Ebola and AIDS from the monkey. Mo Prophet Muhammad, let's see what he says. Uh, he comes now 600 years later and reinstates restrictions on this. And look at what Prophet Muhammad said. He says, Allah's messenger forbade the eating of meat of monkey and beast. I'm sorry. Allah's forbade the eating of meat of beasts having Fangs. So what Dr. Burgess needs to answer here, here is a man 1400 years ago, you know, in the desert is giving us the turnkey solution, the preventive cure <clears throat> for, for AIDS, Ebola, and, 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 and the coronavirus. If mankind were following this advice that you see on the screen, we would not be having these pandemics. This is the cure and the solution, not just for this pandemic, for also future pandemics. And then we see another uh, example of uh, a scientific correction. And both Jesus and Muhammad uh, uh, um, uh, dealing with us with, with a child who has seizures. So basically what happened, Jesus looks at the child who has seizures and says, this kid's demon-possessed. So here's the problem with that. As a result of that, okay, for the next 2,000 years, as you can see from the following study, if I can find it, here <laughs> for the next 2000 years the uh what's it called the uh epileptics are now stigmatized as being demon possessed as we can see from the from Dr. Carl Oten-Nakin's uh article and his research on this and others they all put the blame on the teachings of the bible for stigmatizing uh epileptics as being demon possessed but once again uh, you know, we see another correction. Prophet Muhammad, an epileptic child comes to Prophet Muhammad. And what does Prophet Muhammad say as we see in the following hadith? Does he accuse the child of being demon-possessed, thus causing this type of horrible stigmatization upon them? Watch what he doesn't say. The Prophet Muhammad simply says, I will invoke Allah to cure you. So here we see something like four or five scientific corrections uh, to the Bible. So let's now do a little bit of math here. Now I have more. There's actually a lot more, but unfortunately I only have 10 minutes. I'll try to get to the other parts, uh, you know, maybe in our discussion. Um, so here we see the question which, which Dr. Burgess must answer here. Okay, so we were to say, what's the probability of you getting it right like this? I mean, once or twice, yeah. You could say, okay, he copied from some ancient source or something like that. Yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no problem there. But you cannot keep getting it right every time. So if we were to say it's a 50, let's just be generous and, and um, 
charitable to Dr. Burgess, we say, okay, look, it's about a 50% chance of getting it right on alcohol, 50% chance of dodging the bullet on mustard seed, 50% chance on, on dodging the bullet on, uh, on the epileptic child. If we were to, if we were to add up all this probability, and I think I've given you something like five, I think uh, four, four, I've only had time for four. So that's two times two to the fourth power. That's the problem. Let's see, what did I give you? Mustard seed, alcohol, <laughs> epileptic, and uh, oh, I'm gonna give you five. And, One and, the, and the COVID. So, so if we were, so that's that's two to the fifth power. That's the probability, and that's gonna be the denominator. That's the probability of you just getting lucky each and every time. So why the Quran is a scientific miracle here is because of the frequency, not the individual occurrence. Once or twice, we could just pass it off as nothing. But the frequency of these corrections again and again and again. And this is something which proves that this is something supernatural. Only a prophet of God can correct five, actually there's six scientific errors, lifting the biblical curse from mankind and setting the victims free. That's what we saw with the case of the epileptic child. We saw that, you know, giving the cure for, for, these, for these terrible uh, zoonotic diseases, that's what COVID and Ebola and these things are, you know, and this is something which is consistent. So it's not just that the Quran is agreeing with science, but the impact it is having upon humanity also as well. So I believe that is my time and I'll go ahead and turn it over to uh, Dr. Burgess. Mm -hmm. Thank you so very much, Nadir, for your up to 10-minute opening statement. And Professor Ben, the floor is yours for your up to 10-minute opening statement. All right. Uh, thank you, uh, Nadir. Uh, thank you also to James Modern Day Debate for setting this up and Amy for moderating. So at the outset, uh, before I get into the meat of this, I want to just spend a moment talking about why I do debates like this in the first place. Sometimes people who used to see me argue about, you know, capitalism and socialism and war and peace and things like that are surprised when they see a debate on a more abstract philosophical topic like the existence of God, and they assume that I see the topics as linked in a way that I really don't. Uh, they're linked certainly in the sense that I believe in the separation of church and state or mosque and state, uh, and uh, certainly see religious fundamentalists as enemies of humanity, so, for example, I would definitely stand in solidarity with the women life freedom protesters risking their lives right now in Iran. But I have nothing but love for religious progressives, uh, those people of every religion whose faith inspires them to fight for a more just and equal society and who don't want to use the power of the state to coercively enforce their particular vision of the good life on gay people or pregnant women or religious minorities are far more my allies than, say, atheists who love Ayn Rand. Uh, many of the protesters in Iran are believing Muslims. So here's the point. I'd infinitely rather people agreed with me about politics and disagreed with me about metaphysics than the other way around. That said, um, I am a huge philosophy nerd who finds questions like theism versus atheism fascinating. And I find it hugely refreshing to get to spend the evening taking a break from politics and arguing about philosophy. So let's do it. I want to do two things in this opening statement. The main one is to give my positive case for atheism, but before I do that, I do want to say just a few words about Nadir's case for the existence of God. As I understand it, that case goes like this. The Quran couldn't have been written by a human being without the divine aid of divine revelation uh, because of the scientific miracles. That's the premise. 
Uh, so conclusion, God, and specifically the kind of God worshipped by Muslims, must exist. And I have to say, with all due respect, this strikes me as an almost uniquely weak argument for two reasons. First, the case for that anything paranormal was going on with the composition of the Quran is thin to the point of almost not existing. And second, even if that premise could somehow be established, there's still a massive flying logical leap from there to the conclusion that the Quran was written by the all-powerful creator of the universe. I expect we'll spend a lot of time in open discussion talking about both of these points, so I don't want to take too much time on them in this opening, so we've got 10 minutes total, but I do want to hit both very quickly now. First, um, none of the things that Didier points to as overlap between the Quran and modern science are anything of the kind. Uh, not specifically saying that the mustard seed is the smallest seed doesn't even show that Muhammad knows that mustard seeds uh, are, are not the smallest seed, for example. And Muhammad doesn't say, don't drink alcohol because it's going to cause fetal alcohol syndrome. He doesn't say that because he doesn't know about fetal alcohol syndrome. He just says, don't drink alcohol. Harms and benefits can mean anything. And as you know perfectly well, uh, plenty of other alleged prophets and other religions uh, who you don't believe in prohibited alcohol. Did God tell Joseph Smith about fetal alcohol syndrome? You know, Mormons prohibit alcohol. How about the Hindu writers who condemned alcohol in their holy books? And even when it comes uh, to better examples, which, again, I have to say I haven't heard any of this opening, but, you know, but, but if there are better examples, even when it comes to those examples, for Nadir to even begin to make his case, he would have to compare his examples of real or alleged uh, scientific accuracies in the Quran against the large number of scientific inaccuracies. Other, other people have uh, pointed to in the Quran. The passages, for example, where the sun and the moon are spoke of as if they're similarly sized objects that both rotate the earth, uh, putting the earth at the center of the solar system, or the ones that seem to endorse a flat earth or young earth creationism. Uh, I will cheerfully admit to knowing far less about the Quran than the deer. I don't think I'm shocking anybody there. But even I do know that much. Second, and much more importantly, even if we did have some reason to believe that something paranormal is going on with the composition of the Quran, this wasn't just a regular, unaided human being writing this, which, to be clear, I would say we absolutely do not have any reason to think that, that would still be 100% irrelevant to the topic of tonight's debate. It would actually be far easier, for example, to convince me that Muhammad found out things most humans would discover centuries later by means of time travel or visitations from scientifically advanced space aliens, since however unlikely and outlandish those scenarios are, they're both far more consistent with the evidence we have about what the universe is like than the existence of the kind of God postulated by Nadir. Even uh, an explanation that invoked magic without bringing God into it would be a better explanation than the existence of such a God. And explaining why that is takes us to my larger case for atheism. Now, when I say I'm an atheist, that doesn't just mean that I lack a belief in God. I've always thought that was a terrible definition. My miniature schnauzer Lucy would be an atheist if that was all it meant. Uh, what I mean is that I thought about it and formed the belief that there is not a God. That doesn't mean I claim absolute certainty. Few, if any, human beliefs lend themselves to absolute certainty. But I will admit to uh, being pretty confident about this one. Okay, so why do I think it's so unlikely that there's a God, and particularly unlikely that there's the sort of God worshipped by Nadir? The first, and for the sake of time, I'm just going to lay down a marker here. We can go back to an open discussion, is that 
all of the philosophical arguments that have been advanced for the existence of God over the centuries, uh, I find really unconvincing. The ones that I think are much better arguments than Mohammed doesn't specifically say mustard seeds are the smallest kind of seed. And uh, even if there was no evidence one way or the other, all else being equal, the simpler explanation would be that there's no God. If I claim there's a tiny invisible leprechaun dancing around on the palm of my hand, singing the flogging Molly song, what's left of the flag at a, a pitch that human ears can't detect. And the leprechaun can use leprechaun magic to evade any tests that we can come up with for this. You wouldn't be agnostic about the existence of the leprechaun. You wouldn't reserve judgment. You'd form the belief that it was extremely unlikely that there was a leprechaun. And that's even if there wasn't any evidence one way or the other. But at least if we're talking about the kind of God that a devout Muslim like Nadir believes in, one who is supposed to be both all-powerful and all-merciful, or, you know, equivalently the God that his uh, Christian and Jewish counterparts believe in, who has the same two properties, then we actually have excellent evidence that no such being exists. A God who has all those properties, philosophers often say all PKG for all-powerful, all-good, all-knowing, would want to prevent children from starving to death, and he'd be able to prevent children from starving to death, but children do starve to death. He'd want uh, to uh, save COVID patients and cancer patients, and he'd want to stop children from being raped, but COVID and cancer and child rape do still exist. As my late grad school professor, Quentin Smith, uh, pointed out in one of my favorite papers of his, even the natural laws that require some animals to inflict massive amounts of pain and suffering on other animals who they kill and eat add up to decisive evidence against the existence of an all-PKG creator. Now, some theistic philosophers have tried to come up with ways around this problem. I know I am running short of time, so I will just um, lay down a marker here and say that neither um, references to free will or any of the other creative solutions they've come up with do much to counter this mountain of evidence against the existence of an all-PKG god. Now, I hope we get back to that point in the open discussion uh, so we can actually talk about it because, and with this point, I will hand the floor back to Nadir. If we're going to have a real conversation about whether there's any reason whatsoever to believe in the existence of his God, the discussion is going to have to be about stuff like that and not these frankly irrelevant claims about what's in the Quran. Thank you so very much, Dr. Ben, for your opening statement. And with that, the floor is actually both of yours for our open conversation. Right back to you guys. Sure. I guess I'll just go for two minutes real quick here. Uh, yeah. So thank you. You know, first of all, I, I do accept this challenge uh, about are there scientific errors in the Quran? Look, one of the many miracles of the Quran, it is in complete harmony with modern science. I would love to see these passages. I mean, the Quran said that the shape of the earth is flat. If the Quran said that the, the sun and the moon are equal size, then I'll have to concede defeat tonight. Of course, the Quran is wrong. So I would love to see those verses. And this is a perpetual challenge we have been giving the atheists. Come, show us where it contradicts Quran. And we've had many debates on that. Most atheists actually run away from that debate because they see it now as being unwinnable for them. But anyways, let's, let me just address some of the points you said. You know, uh, you said that, you know, the whole issue is about, you know, other people have uh, concluded not to drink alcohol. And they actually did give the correct scientific answer. And you, you also said things that, um, you know, uh, that I guess uh, just because the Quran says don't drink alcohol, that's not really supernatural. You can come to those conclusions some other way. And I totally agree with all of that. 
you know, the thing about the mustard seed, that's not really magnificent or something like that. I agree with that. You could hypothetically, you can pull off all of these one off individually. Yes. But the bad news for, for you, Dr. Burgess, in spite of taking everything you have said into consideration, the probability is still one half of getting it right. And the Quran I've given you, actually, I was counting six scientific corrections to the previous scripture. And the probability is like one over 64 of getting all those right. And when we talk about correcting the scientific errors of the Bible, I mean, we're just getting warmed up over here. We still haven't even got into the actual verses which which agree with modern science. So the question I would return to you, how are you going to beat this one half probability? Because that's going to sink the ship here for atheism. Go ahead. Um, okay. Uh, so I, I think that uh, the idea that there's anything even slightly improbable about anything that he's mentioned individually or collectively is just flatly wrong. Um, that, for example, uh, the Quran doesn't specifically say the mustard seed is the smallest seed. Okay. I mean, there are uh, many thousands of other books that, uh, that don't specifically uh, make that claim. And I don't think that we would have, uh, that we would normally take ourselves to have any reason to believe that any of those other books, again, even that there was anything, uh, anything uh, out of the ordinary going on with their composition. They weren't written by uh, unaided uh, humans, uh, or that it doesn't specifically say that epilepsy is uh, caused by demonic possession. It also doesn't say anything else about how it's caused or how it could be cured other than theoretically uh, by means of a miracle. In, uh, in that passage, and with the examples of both uh, bats and alcohol, uh, there's, there's nothing in either of those passages that says anything that indicates or hints at any sort of uh, you know, pre-knowledge of the scientific claims that, uh, that Nadir is talking about. It says, don't eat bats, uh, not don't eat bats because one day you might get COVID, which if that was what God was trying to say in the Quran, it's odd that he didn't spell that out. Because uh, nobody reading that would have any reason to think that anything like that was the reason. Uh, similarly with, with alcohol, there's, there's, there's no hint of anything about fetal alcohol syndrome or anything like that. So I don't think any of those things by themselves are, are particularly unlikely. In fact, it would actually be massively unlikely that any random book would include those, those particular errors. Uh, it's also the Quran, while obviously very influenced by the Bible, is not a word-for-word uh, you know, word for word repetition with only those things changed or anything or anything close to it. Uh, and even if there were scientific, um, even if there were anything that was scientifically impressive in the Quran and here any, anything that would be, uh, well, I'll just end with this then, uh, that they have then, again, I really want to emphasize the point uh, that this would do nothing to establish specifically that it's God. Just something out of the ordinary is 10,000 miles short of this book was revealed by the all-powerful creator of the universe. There are so many possibilities that are left out of that. Okay. So, you know, uh, I just want to respond to some of that real quickly here. So um, I think going back to some of your points over here, you know, the you're saying that other books could make a claim about a mustard seed. Yeah. And, and you could say, you know, other books have got away without making that type of error that's true but that doesn't work for the for the quran why is that because the, the the presupposition here is the quran 
has to be copying from the Bible. It has to be, or else how else do you account for the knowledge in there which agrees with the Bible if we are to assume Muhammad is not a true prophet? Because it is not a coincidence that we find these things about the mustard seed, alcohol, uh, the epileptic child, about and I'm, <laughs> meat consumption. and, and uh, That can't be a coincidence here. We know Muhammad is trying to achieve something. He's trying to prove something, but we don't know yet until the, with the help of modern science. With the help of modern science, now we know why he did or what he did. So that doesn't work with the Quran. We have to work with, a, with the assumption this man is copying from the Bible. That's not a coincidence here. So nothing of what you said beat that half probability. Again, I'm being very charitable here. It's a one-half probability for giving us the cure, the preventive cure for AIDS, Ebola, and COVID. It's just a 50% chance of coming, coming across that and putting it in your book. Again, I'm being very charitable here. So you are nowhere in the ballpark of beating the scientific evidence for the Quran. And I, I do admit, you know, see, I, the scientific evidence for the Quran proving it to be supernatural, it's not going to answer every question which is going to lead to the to the uh, conclusion of God. But that's okay. This is just part of it. I, we have more evidence after this. So, you know, you said that, okay, well, the Quran, there's no evidence that you really knew that the, that the, that the correct scientific information in your book is for a specific reason. Well, yes, that's true. So this is falls under the category of coincidence. A coincidence means that you said something like don't eat animals with fangs. You didn't really mean to agree with science. It just happened accidentally. So all you're doing now is just arguing coincidence, coincidence, coincidence. That's not going to work. That's not going to beat the the one half probability. So I'm going to give you another opportunity. Yeah, 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 How are you going to yeah, beat this map? Uh, she said two minutes quite a while ago. Let me, let me okay. I'm sorry, I didn't hear. Get into this. Uh, so okay, uh, I want to I want to say first of all that the options are not that it's a uh, a word for word copy of the Bible minus these things that you're you're for some reason I cannot figure out calling corrections, which they aren't corrections. They're just you know these specific things not being in there. Lots of other specific things that you can't claim are scientifically inaccurate also aren't in there. Uh, but the options are not either Muhammad is a true prophet of God uh, or else Muhammad is co is copying the text word for word from the Bible. Uh, nobody believes the second thing. Um, the uh, But nobody who rejects the first thing believes the second thing. They, what they believe is that you know, Muhammad was aware of the Bible. He was influenced by the Bible. Uh, sure, it's not a coincidence, but that doesn't mean that he's copying it word for word. It's it's heavily uh, it's heavily influenced. But there's tons of stuff in the Bible that's not in the Quran, uh, including uh, including plenty of things that I don't think you can claim are scientific corrections. So it's not fifty fifty that the uh, that uh, that one of these things uh, that there'd be some particular claim in the Bible that you want to say is scientifically inaccurate and it wouldn't end up in the Quran. Uh, it's, it's not even particularly likely. I mean, it's, it's 99.999% that any particular claim made in passing in the Bible wouldn't make it into the Quran, given the hypothesis that Muhammad is influenced by it, but not copying word for word. Um, I should, uh, I should also, uh, should also say it's not a coincidence uh, to say that the uh, that um, that for example uh, you know people might you know some scientists uh, I think you are oversimplifying what current science says about alcohol but forget that that it's not a coincidence 
uh, let's say science for the sake of argument, you know, was to unambiguously uh, said what you said it said about alcohol, even if that was true, that wouldn't be a coincidence that science says that and the Quran prohibits it because there's nothing in the Quran even hinted at a prohibition for that reason. There are lots of other religions that prohibit it, presumably according to both of us, because neither of us believe that these other religions uh, were products of divine revelation, uh, that they prohibit from other reasons. Last point before before I pass the, the torch back over, uh, since we agree, I think, you know, the topic tonight is supposed to be the existence of God. We agree, I think, that uh, that this argument doesn't get you even 0.00001% of the way there. Uh, you said there are other arguments that get you further. I would like to hear some of them. Okay, so what I meant by coincidence is if you claim that the author of the Quran is giving scientifically correct information, but he didn't really mean to, this is a coincidence, meaning it is an unintended consequence of maybe you were just trying to be poetic. Maybe you're just trying to, uh, I don't know, yeah, be poetic or metaphorical or something like that. Oh, well, look at that. I just just rattled out some scientifically accurate information. Oh, I didn't. So, so this is a coincidence which I'm talking about. Coincidence works once or twice. It don't work three times in a, in a row. You know why? Because if you just saw it happen three times in a row, well, the fourth time you're expecting it. You know this is going to happen again. That's not a coincidence. So it doesn't fall under coincidence. So I think you are struggling here to beat that half the 50% probability, which is really uh, seals the deal over here. So I think, you know, some of the things you said, you know, um, well, let me just go very, go over very quickly here uh, on what these scientific miracles or you could say scientific corrections are. So we agree that, well, I'm sorry, going back to your point about alcohol before I go there. So well, there are other books which, which talk about alcohol. Yeah. And maybe there's other books which condemn alcohol. Yeah. But there's a lot of books which do endorse it. Yeah. So how do you know which one is right? Even you can go to the medical textbooks. They give quack, quack, um, quack um, type of healings for alcohol that, you know, it's going to make your children plump and fat. So the Issue here is no matter what you say, Dr. Burgess, you still have a 50% chance of getting it wrong, at least. Nothing of what you are saying is going to beat the probability that when you start talking about these things, and you don't know what you're talking about, you're an ignorant man. If you were that man in the six or four, you're going to say stupid things coming out of your mouth when you because you don't understand the science of these things. It's still 50% probability. So you have not beat that number. And that, I think, seals the deal on the Quran being a scientific miracle. Now we can move on to other issues, if you like, because it looks like you're not going to beat the case for the Quran. Okay. Uh, so first of all, uh, I didn't say it's a coincidence that's scientifically accurate. I said that you haven't even begun to establish your case that it is scientifically accurate, uh, because you are conflating two radically different things. The Quran saying don't drink alcohol with the Quran somehow getting something right about fetal alcohol syndrome, which is a totally separate subject. Uh, there's nothing about that that suggests or hints at knowledge of this information about fetal alcohol syndrome. There's no coincidence there. There's, there's no coincidence to be explained uh, because in order for there to be a coincidence to be explained, it would have to be the case that the Quran even hinted at knowledge of a fetal alcohol syndrome, which it does not. Uh, your uh, the idea that there's a uh, that for any of these things that the chances of specifically not including the specific claim about mustard seeds, which there's no reason it would, uh, are 50-50 is absurd. There's no reason to be anything like as uh, as 
uh, as low as 50-50. The chance of not including that specific claim would be well north of 99% uh, for any book that was influenced by the Bible. They, uh, similarly to uh, the Quran, the Book of Mormon is influenced by the Bible, but it's not copying word for word. I don't know if it includes that claim about the mustard seed or not, but I certainly would not be surprised if it didn't. Uh, also, if it was the case uh, that all of these things, there was a 50-50 probability, and you've given me no reason to believe that's true, but even if it was the case, uh, you know, getting a 50-50 probability four times is not surprising. It's not interesting. You flip a coin a bunch of times, uh, you're going to get plenty of, uh, of forehead streaks. It's not even interesting if you flip a coin four times and you get four heads in a row. Uh, that's, uh, you know, that that is well within uh, the range of possibilities. In fact, it's just as likely as uh, as any uh, as any other combination. Uh, so I don't I, again, I don't understand the basis for any of this. But again, what you haven't addressed at any point is my point that even if you somehow establish this premise that the Quran wasn't the result of unaided human effort, which you haven't even the beginning of a case for that that would still not get us anywhere near the conclusion that it was revealed by God. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll get, um, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. So, you know, I just want you, I think you, I just don't feel like you're, you're in the ballpark as far as really addressing the arguments here. Now you've made a claim that, well, this is stuff really doesn't agree with science. You tried to falsely equivocate Well, other books uh, also do talk about alcohol. Yeah. But what you're not going to see in those other books is agreeing with science. There's two scientifically correct statements in the Quran. The first one, as I showed you, it gave the right understanding. The science says, yeah, you're going to find good in alcohol, but the overall health risks uh, outweigh any benefits. That's word for word agreement is what we find in the Quran. They have some benefit for the people, but their harm is far greater. The right dosage, which is do not drink any alcohol. That's scientifically correct. Okay. These are the scientifically correct statements, which I'm saying, look, it's a 50% chance of making, of getting it right, in spite of all the situations and scenarios you've, you've pointed out. Then you threw out a number, oh, this is all 99% chance of getting it right. I'm not even going to answer that. Okay. That's just not something which I feel <laughs> needs to be answered. So, so the issue here tonight, you know, and I want, I want to give you another, now you, you, you mentioned, oh, well, that doesn't agree with science. Let me give you another one. Washing hands. The Bible basically, you know, discourages washing your hands before you eat. I'm not going to go into the verses of the Bible because I just don't have time. Uh, but now look at Prophet Muhammad comes 600 years later. And he said he would always wash his hands before he eats. Now, this is scientifically correct. Why? Because you have a lot of germs, parasites on your hands. And, and science not only says to wash your hands, but make sure you clip your nails. Once again, we see from, from the scientific evidence that Islam teaches to, uh, to clip your nails and wash your hands. And the point which I would in my brief seconds here, look how now how the National Library of Medicine is now honoring and recognizing Prophet Muhammad for its scientific accuracy on washing hands. And this is a statement about clipping your nails, which you can see on my on my on my scene over there. So for you to say, oh, it's not agreeing with science. Sorry, the the evidence is right there in front of you. Yeah, none of that is an agreement with science. None of it even looks like an agreement with science, even superficially. Uh, that uh, that in every case, all of these cases, what you're talking about are instructions. You should do this. You shouldn't do that. But 
in order for you to get an agreement with science, so then we could even ask the question you want to ask about, you know, oh, is this just a coincidence or how likely is this agreement? Uh, you would need it to even hint at agreeing with science, you know, at, uh, at prohibiting these things for health reasons, none of which hints are there. You said there's this word for word agreement that the, uh, that the health benefits uh, get, are outweighed by health risks, but there's nothing in the wording in the Quran that even hints that any of this has anything to do with physical health. Uh, it, uh, it just, you know, uses the word benefits and harms, but that could mean anything. Uh, in fact, a vastly more plausible explanation is that uh, is that benefits are like you know you feel a sense of camaraderie and it helps uh, it helps uh, lower social inhibitions in a way that you know in a way that helps people celebrate and have joy and the harms is that it leads to dissolute behavior. Uh, this is the kind of thing I actually think it's almost certain that the uh, that is meant. So uh, so in order for you to get even coincidences, you'd have to establish that. Uh, this is part of why I say that I don't think I don't know why I'm supposed to take seriously this 50-50 number. Uh, and even if I did take that seriously for some reason, uh, you know, flipping a, a fair coin four times, getting heads four times is not even interesting. Uh, but again, what I really want to take the discussion to is that if, even if everything we've been arguing about, even if Nadir was right about 100% of anything of everything we've argued about, I think it's 0%, but even if he was right about 100%, this would not even begin to be an argument for the existence of God. Because there is a giant logical leap from the premise that this wasn't the result of unaided human effort to the conclusion that it was the revelation of the all-powerful uh, creator of the universe. And if you want to say that, uh, as one of my favorite people who did this, I like to say, all your work is still ahead of you. Okay, so let me first, uh, um, you know, correct you on some of your uh, misunderstandings. I think you, you, you. Well, first of all, you're contradicting yourself. You said uh, there's no agreement with science, and then you started saying, "Well, uh, you, where is it even a hint of that this was done for physical health?" You know, so those two statements contradict. Because the second one, you're kind of conceding. Okay, yeah, it does agree with science, but it's not for the reasons which you are thinking. This stuff was. Uh, he didn't state the reason behind it. I have a, so so the problem is you are just um, I think you are you're a drowning man clutching at straws at this point. You know you're not going to beat the probability of fifty percent for each and every one. Now we actually got let's see we got now eight now so it's two to the eighth power. So that's a denominator and I'll do the math later. But let me first correct your uh, false assertion that this stuff doesn't agree with science, which, which again, as I said, you're, you're in a way you're kind of contradicting yourself. Uh, if I can share my, my desktop here, uh, let's go right here. Oh, interesting. Oh, okay. Can you see my screen? Amy? Uh, cause I see I am sharing, but Okay, so here is the article. I don't know if you can see it in front of if, if my screen oh, is being shared. Sorry, I was not. muted, but uh, yes, yeah. we can see it, but only okay, wonderful. Chrome, uh, your browser. Oh, okay. Well, let me let me hit stop share here, and I will try to share again. And there we go. So here is an article of scientists praising Islam for its uh, contribution, the efficacy of hand washing. Actually, let me get to you the article right here. Uh, blah, 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 blah. 
So, but, but please, please keep in mind that the articles which I am presenting to you are from scientists who have actually recognized Islam for its contribution to science. So yeah, here's the article right here. Okay, here is an article once again uh, published on the uh, you know very reputable the National Center for Bio for Biotech Technology Information praising Prophet Muhammad. Look at what it says over here. The Prophet Muhammad always urged Muslims to wash hands frequently. And especially after some clearly defined task and clipping your nails, as I told you. So please correct yourself when you say it doesn't agree with science. Uh, it doesn't agree with science. Uh, nothing you've said uh, establishes any sort of agreement with science. Again, you know, if there's a scientific claim about a health risk of something and the Quran says, don't do that thing, that's not an agreement with science. That's not even something that vaguely looks like an agreement with science. Uh, you'd only get an agreement with science if it said, don't do this thing for health reasons, which none of the passages you cited do. So that's one point. You just haven't even begun to make your case about any sort of agreement with science in anything in uh, in the Quran, sort of, you know, and we've talked about that ad nauseum, but that's just not true. Uh, so that's the first point. Um, that, But then the second and vastly more important point is even if you did get agreement with science. And uh, eight claims in a book uh, that lie, even if any of them were real agreements with science, which exactly zero of the ones that you've cited are, eight claims in a book that agree with science is not actually uh, is not actually particularly interesting. I'm sure you could find the same in many, many, many other books over the course of thousands of years. But none of that really matters because the key point that you haven't addressed is even if it were true, that there was some some sort of evidence somehow uh, that much better than you've given that the Quran couldn't have been the product of unaided human effort, even if we established that frankly absurd premise, uh, then it would still be the case that you would not have even begun to make your case for the existence of God, because obviously there's a false dilemma between unaided human effort and this is the result of the all-powerful creator of the universe uh, you would you would still have no reason, you know, if it was on, on not unaided human effort, which we have every reason to believe it was, but if it wasn't, then we would start to ask, okay, what other kind of being could have helped with this? And for God to even be in contention, you would have had to give me some other reason to believe in the existence of God. And uh, so far, all of we've gotten are these complete irrelevancies about what's in the Quran. Oh, I think you're muted. Dr. Burgess, if the Quran did not agree with science on these issues, why do we find the Quran uh, being praised inside prestigious scientific journals on the issue of washing hands? So Prophet Muhammad urged people to wash their hands and clip their nails, which corrects the scientific error found in the Bible where Jesus discouraged that. So that doesn't make any sense. I think I, I want to move on. I, I I agree with you. I think we've we've exhausted this topic. I don't think. I mean, if you look at all the probability, the probability of getting it right on washing hands, you know, all these things, it's about fifty percent. You can't keep getting it right every time, all the time, on correcting these scientific errors, and that's what we believe is a scientific miracle. Now, remember, this is just one aspect of it. We still haven't debated the verses in the Quran, which actually do agree with modern science. So we, so let, you're saying, okay, let's just for argument's sake, go along with it. 
let's just say, okay, fine, the Quran does have this remarkable scientific information in it. So how would this lead us to the conclusion that there is a God? Well, we would now have to ask the question, how could a man 1400 years ago in the desert of Arabia, and remember Muhammad was an illiterate man, had the cure for COVID, had the cure for Ebola, who liberated and, and freed children from the stigma of, of, of being called an epile or being called epileptic, being called demon possessed. How could a man have this kind of knowledge? So the best explanation for what we are seeing, which explains the data, is that there is a supernatural power. There is something which is giving him this ability to do that. Now remember, we and, and if we and this is just one aspect of the Quran. Now we haven't even talked about prophecy. We haven't also talked about Muhammad's amazing ability from uh, on the battlefield from a military perspective. You know how a man again who in the minority of one was able to conquer both the Persian Empire and the Roman Empire. That's like the Eskimos. Uh, trying to conquer Russia and the United States and being successful at it. So it's not just him being great at science. Now we see here Muhammad is this great military general here who's doing things which, you know, which are uh, setting Time. records in, in our history. So so there's many layers of evidence here. Yeah. So uh, if Muhammad had meant to liberate children from uh, from the prejudice that their epilepsy was caused by demonic possession, presumably uh, he, uh, he would have actually uh, said something uh, anywhere in the Quran that said or even hinted that epilepsy was not caused by demonic possession. All you've given me is a passage where he doesn't specifically claim that it was. So I, I think that's an example of just exactly how thin and sloppy these, these alleged scientific miracles, which are nothing of the kind, and you've given me no reason to think that the probability of any of them is even close uh, to as low as, uh, of getting any of these things right, is even close to as low as, uh, as 50%. Uh, but, uh, and, and the idea that, uh, that, you know, that Muhammad's military successes have something, you know, had need a supernatural explanation any more so than many other conquerors throughout history who were wildly successful, uh, you know, from unlikely starting points uh, is also very odd. But here's the larger point. Uh, let's say for the sake of argument uh, that you've given me some reason to believe that Muhammad uh, could know the future in advance, uh, that, uh, that, you know, that he could know that uh, he would know that, for example, the reason he prohibits eating bats is that he knew about COVID, uh, which, you've, I mean, I have no reason to take that seriously, but let's assume that for the sake of argument. Uh, so let's assume he had powers to know the future. Let's assume that he had, that his military successes, you know, were somehow supernatural in, in, in origin. Why would any of this, even, even if we granted it, which we shouldn't because you've given us no reason to believe it, but even if we granted it, why should any of this give us any reason to believe that the world was created by an all-powerful but also entirely just being, which is uh, which is a hypothesis that is wildly unlikely for all the reasons I started with in my uh, in my opening opening statement. And even if anything was remotely miraculous about any of this, which it's it's certainly not, uh, but even if it was, uh, that's that's still a completely different question. <laughs> from whether this particular supernatural being exists. Uh, not a person who could know the future, but a being who is both all-powerful and all-good, 
despite the mountain of evidence around us that no such being exists. Okay, so let me very quickly answer your first objection here is that, that, you know, you see, you're not disagreeing. Now he's coming to the, um, he's now coming to the realization, yes, these things do agree with with science. Okay, so good. But he said, but you better state the reason that the reason. In fact, I said the opposite. Hold on, let me, let me (laughs) just finish my point here. But he said, you better state the reason why. You better, it should be written in the Quran that the reason you're doing is to help those children. You're liberating them from the stigma of, of, of being, uh, being called demon possessed. I'm talking about the epileptic children, which is the stigma, which, which the Bible put on them. Well, true. The reasons were not stated in the Quran. So through some very common sense reasoning, we can ask questions. Okay. If you were not referring to you were not really intending the scientific reason behind these things. You didn't mean to save uh, all those millions of children from fetal alcohol syndrome. If that is really not your intent, then this falls under the category of coincidence. The fact that you actually did do that was an unintended consequence, which you did not mean to do, and it coincidentally happened. It is random. It's a random act which happens. And again, what's the probability of these wonderful things happening? I'm going to tell you, it's be charitable, 50%. So none of the scenarios you are presenting are going to beat that 50% number. So we're done with the Quran and science. Let's just now talk about the second thing that, you know, you, you said, even if we were to grant you what you're saying, this is still not going to prove God. No, it actually does. The problem is you said these things are all, the fact that there is a God it's wildly unlikely. This is your opinion. You should now change your opinion in light of the evidence which you're seeing. Now, also, I will also say, look, the issue about the conquest, which Muhammad did, you know, uh, if we were to just look at that, that proves nothing. Other conquerors did this. So it's kind of a stupid argument. But why it's a good argument now is because when you look at this in light of the scientific evidence, okay, you're doing all these brilliant things in science, which according to you is coincidentally happening, coincidentally happening. Okay, fine. Now you turn around and you do these wonderful things, you know, in terms of military conquest. Wait a second. How is one guy doing all this? Okay. Uh, I didn't say it was a coincidence and I didn't say it was agreement with science. I said over and over and over and over and over and over again, the exact opposite of both of those. I don't know how you heard either of those. I said that there's no agreement with science. The Quran prohibiting something that science has some reason to think is bad is not a coincidence. That's not an agreement with science. It would only be an agreement with science if the Quran said something about it being bad for that reason. It's not a coincidence anymore that it's a coincidence that the Book of Mormon that, you know, uh, that Joseph Smith said not to uh, not to drink alcohol, uh, that uh, and um, and that fetal alcohol syndrome exists, or any more that it's a coincidence that various Hindu holy books say not to drink alcohol and that fetal alcohol syndrome exists. Those aren't coincidences because in order to be a coincidence, there would have to be a descriptive claim, a claim about what is true. That uh, rather than a prescriptive claim, a claim about what you should do that says nothing about uh, about the reasons. So no, there's no scientific agreement, and there's also uh, and there's and so there's this whole question of coincidence doesn't even arise in the first place. Uh, it's not just my opinion. I gave you an argument for it in the opening statement. That was the last thing I talked about in the opening statement. Uh, that the obvious evidence against the claim that an all powerful being exists, uh, who is also all good. Uh, is the existence of unjustified evil. 
I went into, I uh, gave you several examples of that in, uh, in the opening statement. I haven't heard a response to that argument yet. And uh, finally, I would, just, um, I would just say that even if I, you know, for the sake of argument, we say the thing that I think is absolutely false, that we have any reason at all to even begin to suspect that anything uh, that was out of the ordinary was going on with the uh, composition of the Quran, uh, it would still be the case that at best, you have just established that something out of the ordinary happened, which is a totally separate question from whether a being exists who is both all powerful and all good, like the God of Islam and Christianity and Judaism. And on that, I just haven't heard any reasons. A supernatural thing could happen. There could, again, uh, there could be any number of things that are out of the ordinary happen without an all-powerful creator of the universe existing. Okay, so, you know, I think this is a canard which you have kind of invented here to explain away the clear agreement with the Quran and science. See, you're saying, well, we're not going to accept this in agreement unless you state the reason. Give me a break. You can tell that to the uh, to the national whatever article I presented to you. Tell that to them. Tell that to Professor Keith Moore. Now, many people from the scientific community spoke about the scientific accuracy of the Quran. So, and no, it didn't state the reason. Okay, well, the reason why this is, the, the Prophet Muhammad gave the cure for COVID. He gave the cure for Ebola. He gave the cure for, for, um, for AIDS. And you are not going to see the agreement with science because you better tell me what the, the real reason you're giving this to me. I, I want to see the reason. This <laughs> is your own personal uh, defense mechanism to salvage and to save atheism. Okay. So if the scientists, as I have, I could present to you many scientific articles where Islam was praised, I gave you one, and they were cool with the fact that, okay, tell me that the reason why you didn't wash your hands, you were really doing that because there's parasites and other bacteria. No, show me that's the reason why you're doing it. Okay. So this is something which is, I think you're taking this to a place where I really don't want to go. I think the case has been made for most reasonable people that there is a clear, consistent agreement with between the Quran and the modern science and how it corrects the previous scripture. So going, moving on, you know, you ask, well, how does this really prove anything? Well, what when we look at the evidence, again, the evidence from history, we talk about this amazing conquest, when we talk about the scientific corrections, if you were to grant me that, so what we're saying is God is the best explanation which explained the facts. I haven't heard of any other uh, explanation which is better than that. Now, you did say, okay, well, what about all the terrible things about kids having cancer and evil things which are happening in the world? Well, this is known as the consequence fallacy, that you're not going to believe in something just because it has a desirable or undesirable consequence, which you don't like. Of course, these are bad things that happen. Time. I know we don't have the answers for... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no. Okay. Well, I also, I just want to say, there's about 15 more minutes of open discussion. But if yeah. you want to get your burning desire question in, now is the time to start sending them in. Tag me in chat, at Amy Newman. And from Modern Day Debate, we hope you're enjoying. Please don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe. And Dr. Ben, the floor is right back to you. Yeah. So uh, the existence of a article uh, where in some scientific journal that uses some of these words in the title, uh, I, I obviously haven't, uh, haven't read the, uh, the article,
but is very weak evidence that even the author of that article uh, believes that this is an amazing coincidence. Uh, I, I would certainly hazard that uh, uh, if we actually uh, did a poll of, uh, of scientists about whether any of them thought it was an amazing coincidence, uh, your, your side would not win. I think we both know that uh, for sure. So I don't, I, I think bringing up the, uh, this, this, this one, you know, bringing up this, this journal article, you know, scientists praise Muhammad or whatever, that, uh, that is frankly a little bizarre to take that as, as evidence for anything. Uh, but, um, but also, of course, uh, you don't believe uh, that it's an amazing coincidence that various Hindu holy books pray, you know, uh, condemn, uh, condemn alcohol drinking, and also that, uh, that scientists now know more about various medical risks of alcohol. Uh, and uh, you don't believe that it's an amazing coincidence that Joseph Smith uh, prohibits alcohol and that, uh, and that scientists, uh, scientists now know more about the, uh, the, medical, uh, the medical risks of alcohol, there are plenty of reasons, as you know, why uh, that I've discussed already. Why somebody uh, would uh, would disapprove of alcohol uh, that had absolutely nothing to do with fetal alcohol syndrome or anything like it. But um, but on uh, moving on to a more serious argument on the problem of evil, this is not a consequences uh, fallacy. The way you're talking about it. it's not. Oh, I don't want to believe that because there's this thing that sounds unpleasant. Uh, it's a question of whether the evidence fits the hypothesis. The hypothesis is that the world was created by a being who is both completely good and all-powerful. And the problem is there's quite a bit of evidence that is in tension with that hypothesis. Uh, so for, you know, so these examples about, you know, uh, about, you know, cancer and AIDS and the Holocaust, et cetera, all seem like things that an all good being would want to prevent and that an all powerful being would be able to, uh, to prevent. Hi. And so that, that is, that is evidence. Now you can give me an alternate explanation of the evidence, but it's not a consequences argument in the sense that you're uh, describing that is evidence. So, yeah, I think we're moving into this philosophical discussion about, you know, why is, why do, why are there bad things? Why do good things, why do bad, bad things happen to good people? Sure, we can go there. But one thing I would like for you to do is after this debate, when somebody tries to explain uh, things from science to you, I want you to tell them, you're not agreeing with science. So you tell me the real that the reason you're explaining this science to me is really for this scientific fact. You really understand it and know it. See, if you were to apply this type of logic, you know, in your daily life or wherever you work at, I think you would be uh, laughed at, to be very honest with you. If there's a statement which agrees with science, as we have seen, and Professor Keith Moore, many scientists have spoken about the scientific accuracy of the Quran and has been praised, uh, you know, we should just accept this agrees with science here. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a clear, don't wash your hands before you eat. Science says that. Muhammad, wash your hands before you eat. No, there's no agreement with science there. I can't, what, where? No, I can't see anything. No, I can't see anything there. <laughs> okay, so so getting back to the issue of um, you know the, the problem of evil. So you need to let God be God. He has His own will. He has His own reasons for letting things happen in the world. You know, I think it was Bertrand Russell. He was an atheist guy. He said, you know, first God created man in his in His image. Then man created God in His image. So what that means is that we want God to conform to what we want him to do. And it just doesn't happen. The life is not, is not like that. You know, so 
it goes back to, you know, I want to also give you another evidence. When I talked to, in fact, I didn't finish my point about the military conquest. I just want to read to you this one quick quote. Here we see another feat of Muhammad. He says, a small number of believers as compared to Romans and Persians conquered and defeated both these large empires. Later on, conquered Syria, Palestine, and Egypt. Continuing going on and conquered in rapid succession North Africa up to Spain into France and then the fall of Turkey in 711, sweeping over Persia and India all within the 8th century, all within 100 years. They carried out the record conquest unparalleled in human history. He's not just a scientist, but also a brilliant general. Wait a second. This doesn't make sense. Okay. Uh, nothing you said makes Muhammad a scientist, uh, That the, and nothing you said is an agreement with science, and none of it is anything that in any other context any anybody would ever suggest was an agreement with science. Science doesn't say don't drink alcohol. Science might say here are some health risks of drinking alcohol. If you said there are health risks, you know, like that's a prescriptive statement. This is what you should do. Science isn't in the business of doing those. Science can give you information that can be relevant to helping to decide what to do, but science can't tell you uh, what, uh, what to do. So somebody who says not to do something that there might be scientific reasons for isn't agreeing with science. They, they, might, they might be uh, coming to that conclusion for any number of reasons, and we have no idea. There's, there's not even a, you know, like the mere fact that anybody, uh, is uh, as as many 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 people did uh, who are not Muslims uh, before uh, before the discovery of fetal alcohol syndrome disapproved of uh, drinking alcohol. That that gives us no reason to think that there's even a point zero 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 one percent chance that they believed that uh, that the reason was fetal alcohol poisoning. Now, on uh, your answer to the problem of uh, of evil, I think that what you gave me was essentially uh, what's sometimes called the mysterious ways solution uh, that uh, that you know that we don't uh, that God must have some reason He has His own will, you say, but that's not an answer. That's just uh, putting a question mark in place of the answer. That's just saying, well, I'm confident that there must be some answer, but I can't tell you uh, what it is because if you believe that one of the uh, the properties of God is being completely morally good, uh, then either uh, that it's it's not morally good uh, to, to stop uh, genocide from happening, stop child rape from happening, et cetera, which would be quite a bullet to bite, uh, or, else, uh, or else this is in fact direct evidence, a very powerful evidence about the non-existence of this, uh, of this being. Now, you could say, well, it looks like it would be morally good, but actually here's God's good reason that if you come up with something, we could have a discussion about it. But right now, all you've said is that there must be one. All right. So yeah, um kind of put aside the philosophical argument. I first want to correct your scientifically inaccurate assertions you've made tonight. Uh, you said, well, you know, the, the scientific position didn't say, well, don't drink alcohol. Actually, that is a, there's a couple of scientifically correct statements. Not drinking alcohol is one of them. Look, as you can see from the article over here, this is a CNN article, drinking any amount of alcohol causes damage to the brain study finds. There is really no such thing as a safe level of drinking alcohol. The fact that the Quran says don't drink alcohol, but there's no agreement with science between these two statements. Nope, not according to Dr. Burgess's logic, because show me that the reason why you're telling me not to drink alcohol is right here. Therefore, you can't agree with science. So this is his reasoning. This is his defense mechanism uh, to, to defend 
uh, you know, to defend his beliefs of atheism because, uh, you know, he's got to come up with something tonight. So anyways, going back to some of the points over here, I just wanted to correct you on your false assertion. And again, were there other people who also condemned alcohol? Yeah, it's like if you meet like 10 people, okay, maybe one out of the 10 will say, hey, don't drink alcohol. All right. Now, nobody's claiming this is groundbreaking evidence. What we are claiming, though, what, is, what I am claiming here tonight is that you got a 50% chance of getting it right. You can't beat that 50%, no matter how hard you try tonight. It's not working. Okay. The chance that the probability that you gave two scientifically correct statements. Remember, those other books only gave maybe one. Islam gave two scientifically correct statements on alcohol. Now, that's eye opening. Again, the probability is half for each shot that you take. So you're you're an ignorant person. I'm referring to the person in the desert, and you're talking about something you don't know nothing about, and yet you hit it. You hit pay dirt twice in a row. That's amazing to do to give the right understanding from a scientific perspective on alcohol. Time. The other statement. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Um, you misunderstood what I meant when I said that science doesn't tell you not to drink alcohol. Uh, science doesn't tell you to do or not to do anything. Science tells you what's factually true, which can then help you figure out, given your goals, uh, what you want to do or not do. But science uh, doesn't involve should statements, that you should do this, you shouldn't do that. That's not what science can do. It can give, it can tell you things that can, uh, that can, um, can be relevant to you as you try to decide what to do or not do uh, once those are combined with your goals, but it cannot by itself tell you to do or not do anything. Now, uh, so even if you were correct uh, that the uh, that um, that the uh, that the science is is just totally unambiguous about you know the uh, you should definitely not ever drink a small amount of alcohol about uh, there are the that the health risks uh, being uh, being really bad for even very small amounts of wine or whatever. Uh, even if you are, I don't. That's that's irrelevant. It doesn't tell you uh, any a should statement. So uh, so you can't get uh, you like a should statement cannot agree or disagree with science in itself. So that's that point. As far as the problem of evil goes, I just wanted I just I just wanted to be noted uh, that Nadir has uh, has not has not answered the challenge. That uh, that the question is okay. This is very powerful evidence for the non-existence of an all-PKG God, that given the hypothesis that there is an all-powerful and all-good being, you would not expect these things to happen because an all-powerful being would be able to stop them, a completely morally good being would want to. Now, you might say, actually, a completely morally good being wouldn't want to stop them because of such and such. You could give me a reason, and then we could argue about whether that reason was sufficient to counter this powerful evidence. But you haven't given me one yet. All you've given me is, well, God has his own will, which I take to be a version of the mysterious ways defense. Uh, if that's not what you meant, you could clarify what you did mean. Uh, but that is, uh, if it is the mysterious ways defense, that's just uh, stamping the table and insisting that there is an answer that we don't know, which is a very different thing from giving an answer. And I'm actually going to interrupt you guys. You're each going to get, I will say, just one more rebuttal. So I'll give it to Nadir and then Dr. Ben. But then after that, you will each get your own one more. Just to say closing statements, what you got going on in the world. Mm -hmm. And yeah, but once again, still yours. Uh, each get one more rebuttal if you'd like. Yeah, so 
the problem is, is what you are presenting as evidence, you know, against God. This is mainly subjective. Everything I presented was objective evidence. Okay, God has his own will and he does things according to his own, uh, you know, reasons. And we may not know those reasons, you know, and it may say, okay, well, this looks contradictory because you're the moral God, you're supposed to be doing this, yet you allow uh, bad things to happen. Well, I tell you what, he's going to have a reason for you. And yeah, you know, but this is kind of a cop out. And yeah, I don't even get into these type of philosophical discussions because it once you establish a scientific evidence for the Quran, then when you what what people are doing with these type of philosophical discussions, they're trying to invalidate the evidence. They're trying to invalidate invalidate the evidence that there is something amazing about the Quran. We know we um, of how it agrees with modern science and how it corrects scientifically inaccurate information. In the book you say, well, I'm not going to agree, or I'm not even look at or entertain any of this evidence, even though it makes sense because of this. You know, God, why did you do that? Why did you, why did you allow this evil to happen? So we shouldn't be get, engaging in these type of philosophical discussions to try to dismiss evidence to make it disappear, make this, all what I've presented to you go away. You know, so that's why I mainly stick with the science of the Quran. I mainly stick with, you know, talking about the prophecies. Now, we didn't really get into prophecies. I'm not going to open up that can of worms. But what we have today is a man, Prophet Muhammad, who made eight, un, you know, astounding scientific corrections to the Bible. The issue here is that he, you know, what the, you know, where the, the miracle is, how did you not fall into the same traps as a, as a previous author did? You know, and I think for that, we really don't have a good explanation. And then you turn around and do this amazing military type of miracle, you know. And then because of Muhammad, in addition to that, he starts a scientific revolution, which is known as the Golden Age of Islam. All of this is coming from an illiterate man in the desert. Okay. Um, when Nadir says, well, I don't want to get into this because this is just an excuse not to look at it. What he's doing is he's refusing to answer the question. He's been given an argument that, uh, that serious, uh, philosophers who are theists, uh, who believe in God take very seriously and spend a lot of time trying to counter. Uh, he's been, uh, he's been given an, an argument that we have a mountain of evidence that God, uh, that, uh, that there cannot be a God in the sense that he believes in a being who is both completely powerful and completely morally just. And he has essentially said three things. One, uh, there was this mysterious ways defense. Well, there must be some answer, but we don't know what it is. The second, which is really shocking, is that this is subjective. Uh, so that, you know, which sounds to me like an endorsement of moral relativism. Morality is subjective? Uh, or if it's not an endorsement of uh, moral relativism, is it an endorsement of the claim that we, uh, that we have no idea, way of knowing? What's morally good or bad? Again, it'd be a very odd claim for Nadir to make. Uh, and um, uh, and then uh, and then the third was, well, it's not science; it's it's philosophy. Well, okay, uh, yes, does God exist? That is a uh, that is a philosophical question. And the uh, and the larger point, I mean, beyond the abject absurdity of saying that the Quran among the many hundreds of statements accurate or not that are in the Bible that are not in the Quran, that that includes some that, uh, that are, uh, that were scientifically inaccurate, the utter absurdity of saying that there's something miraculous or even mildly surprising about that. Uh, the point is, even if we had reason to believe there was something out of the ordinary, that it was not a product of unaided human effort, 
this would uh, this would not even get us uh, 0.0001% of the way to a reason to believe in the existence of God. Again, why God, not scientifically advanced aliens visited Earth? Why God, not time travel? Why God, uh, you know, not just you know, saying that there are some people who have these powers to know the future. Uh, you have not, none of this, the topic that you agreed to tonight was, is there a God? And nothing you've said gives us the slightest reason to think so. And all right, I want to thank both of you guys for joining us, and then I'll just pass the ball right over to you, Nadir, for another round. If you would just like to summarize the topic, and if you would like, tell people what you got going on in the world. Oh, um, how long do I have? I mean, I we were going by two-minute ratios, but if you go over that, I, I won't pull your leg either. Oh, okay, so should I just make like my, my concluding remarks? Or? Yes, and then what we're going okay. to do is go into the Q&A. So sending love to all the lovely people in chat. If you send in a super chat, that will try and uh, move your question to the top of the list, and I guarantee I will try to get those. But if you're just a viewer, a subscriber, just tag me at Amy Newman, and we will try to read your regular questions too, because we love everybody. But once again, Nadir, just the floor is yours. Uh, we're talking God okay. and what you got going yeah, on. So yeah, so basically, just to kind of sum up my presentation here, getting into the philosophical issue, you know, why does God allow evil? You know, in the Quran, it states very clearly that the good is from Allah and is from God, but the evil which you see is actually from yourselves. God wishes good for everybody. And as I told you, you know, God has his own will. He has his own reasons for doing things. Just because you don't know what that is doesn't disprove that he, that he does not exist. Um, I think what we saw tonight is this type of bizarre reasoning that you do not agree with science. Like, for example, science says, wash your hands before you eat. Muhammad says, wash your hands before you eat. There's no agreement with science there. Did you tell me the reason why the, the, about parasites? No, no, you don't see state the reason why. Then there's no reason. So this is a very kind of bizarre reasoning, which was a cop-out to... Um, you know, to try to explain away the, the the clear scientific accuracies and corrections of the Bible. I think one of the most amazing, it's, it's not so much that the Quran agrees with science and the correcting the Bible, but look at the impact those corrections have upon humanity. You know, unfortunately, the Bible did stigmatize epileptic people as being demon-possessed. This is in the scientific literature. It points a, it points a finger at the Bible. This story did that. Muhammad comes, and removes this terrible curse, this terrible biblical curse from epileptics, and says, I will pray for you. We've also seen how the Quran is responsible for saving uh, millions of children from birth defects, something known as fetal alcohol syndrome. Again, this is in the scientific literature. I'm not saying this. And we've seen that these are amazing agreements with science. We've also seen that a man in the desert who's supposed to be an illiterate man is giving you the cure for COVID, Ebola, and eight, how can one man in the desert give all this scientific information? And for that, we really didn't hear anything, you know, that could even begin to explain this. But all of this is going to be dismissed by him because why did God allow evil? Huh? Why did God allow evil? No. These type of philosophical questions 
which have been debated to the point of ad nauseum. I'm not the one who really does that. But that doesn't make the evidence which I've presented disappear. In uh, There was no way in this debate he was able to just, uh, how shall I say, beat that 50% number. Meaning it's a very easy, I'm being charitable to him. I'm saying, look, it's a 50% chance of getting it right. You know, when you talk about something you don't know nothing about, you're talking out of ignorance on the science of alcohol, two scientifically correct statements, and you get it right every time, each time. That is amazing. So now this, so the big riddle which I presented in the opening, how, why is it that we find the same topics as we find in the, in the Bible? The mustard seed, alcohol, meat consumption, the epileptic child. Science has given the answer to that. Muhammad is correcting the scientific errors of this Bible. This is not only a challenge for, for Christians, but it is also a challenge for atheists. From an atheist perspective, it's just a book, book full of errors. And one of the reasons also why I, I invited Dr. Burgess to debate this, quite frankly, the Christians don't want to debate this. They know that the scientific errors in their book is indefensible. And they'll be a laughing stock trying to defend it. Of course, they have their apologetic articles and things like that. But if you look here on modern day debate, if you look, um, you know, elsewhere, you'll see it's very, very rarely ever debated because it'll do catastrophic damage to their faith, these type of debates. But Islam is not like that. We would we are here today and tomorrow to debate these topics. So just to wrap up, I think I, I didn't hear any anything from him which really was able to, to, to give solid answers of why we see the scientifically correct information uh, in the Quran and the Hadith. So uh, that's all I have. Okay. Uh, none, nothing that Nadir has said tonight gives us any reason to believe that anything in the Quran or Hadith is, is scientifically correct. Uh, science doesn't say oh, you should wash your hands before you eat. Science says uh, that here are the health risks of not doing it, but science doesn't say you should do that. That's not what science does. That's not what science could do. Uh, and uh, science doesn't say don't drink alcohol. Science might tell you something about the risks of drinking alcohol, uh, but, uh, but it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't tell you not to. So there's no, uh, there's no convergence between saying not to do something and an information about a specific risk of doing it. Many people, for many reasons, have said not to do probably every single thing on that list. Uh, and, uh, and in no case, whether we're talking about Muslim cases or non-Muslim cases, does that give us the slightest reason to suspect that anything out of the ordinary uh, was, uh, was, was going on? So uh, Nadir has utterly failed in establishing his premise that there's anything even mildly surprising, never mind miraculous, uh, in anything in the Quran or the Hadiths. And certainly the 50% number, uh, I, I don't know why I'm supposed to beat that. It's made up out of nothing. We've, we haven't been given any reason to believe that the chances are anything like as low as 50% of saying some, that you shouldn't do something that people might later have a health-based reason uh, not to do. Um, more importantly, even if he did somehow establish that premise, which he never came close to tonight, that would not give us any reason to believe that there's a God. Because even if something paranormal was going on with the composition of the Quran and the Hadiths, uh, it, uh, that, uh, the, that something paranormal is a much, much different question than the question that Nadir agreed to debate tonight, which was, is there a God? Uh, that, again, you could have, you know, 
why God? Why not? You know, why is why is God more likely than scientifically advanced aliens? Even if there was even one example of uh, Muhammad having uh, agreeing with science, and we actually heard zero examples tonight. Um, and finally, uh, the evidence against the existence of God, which he continually mischaracterizes as uh, asking why did God allow these things? No, the claim is that if we're examining a hypothesis, we say. Uh, any, you know, we do the same thing in science. We say, here's a theory. Now we do, well, now we run an experiment. We see if the results of that experiment conform to the theory or not. We have a, we have a hypothesis that we've been given that there's a perfectly morally good being who's also all powerful and created everything. And uh, we have a mountain of evidence uh, that, uh, that is, that flies in the face of that. Uh, we, uh, beyond the mysterious ways uh, and morality is subjective, uh, defenses that we uh, that we heard earlier tonight i think we got a new one in that last statement which was something like a free will defense that the good comes from allah the uh, the evil is from us but of course that's not going to apply to things like natural laws requiring animals uh to uh to kill each other in ways that uh, that inflict lots of suffering it's not going to apply to uh to earthquakes uh it's not going to apply to lots of things that uh do not seem from what we can tell uh, to be the result of anyone exercising uh, their free will. Uh, if you want to claim that it is, perhaps by some magical mechanism, that would be a different discussion. All right. Uh, with that said, uh, I, I guess part of the prompt was to say something about what, what you do and, and all that. So let me just do like, you know, 15 seconds of that. So uh, I host a podcast and YouTube show called Give Them an Argument. You can find it on YouTube and all the usual podcast places. I wrote a few books, uh, probably the one of most interest to people who watch this channel is the most recent book, which is Christopher Hitchens, what he got right, how he went wrong and why he still matters. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, uh, I have really, you know, it's, it's been too long since I did a debate here. Uh, I always enjoy it. Uh, so happy to be back. Thank you so very much, Dr. Ben and Nadir, for joining us in the ring. We are now going to set them up for some questions, so please keep on tagging me at Amy Newman. helps me to see your questions as well as it's sending all those love in with Super Chats. In fact, a $5 Super Chat from Jim Bob, Ben B., if beliefs slash propositions are purely determined outcomes of a physical evolutionary mechanism, how does a mechanism produce slash access knowledge? Right. Um, so I think there are two different ways that you could you could take this. I'm going to try to do both of them really quickly. So uh, one is that there's something like a question about uh, like, is it just a coincidence uh, that the, that if, you know, that if you're physically determined to, uh, to, to believe something, then it's true. Uh, and I'd say, well, that depends if, uh, if you're determined to look at the evidence and you're determined to apply good standards, then, uh, uh, and that's why you're determined to believe a true thing, then it's not a coincidence at all. Uh, and the uh, the second way you could take it is something like Alvin Plantinga's evolutionary argument against naturalism, which says, well, if God created uh, our minds, uh, he would want us to uh, to know him. So there's a very high likelihood that uh, that the operations of our minds would achieve the truth. But if uh, if they they evolved without divine intervention, then there's no particular uh, reason to think that. Uh, but the flaw in that argument is, well, if um, 
that assumes uh, that uh, the very thing uh, that Nadir tonight was so eager to uh, to deny, which is that we know what God's will is, we know what God's intentions are, uh, and uh, it could very well be that a God exists who uh, who doesn't want us to uh, to uh, to know the truth. Uh, you have to you have to establish that it's particularly important to uh, to God that we know that uh, that that we know that like various abstract things uh, that we might ask questions about are true in order, I think, for that problem to even get off the ground. Thank you so much for that answer and that super chat. Another super chat from Spaces Alive for $5. Is smoking explicitly banned in Islam like alcohol? Are there any texts that explicitly say smoking is banned? If not, why aren't there? Mm -hmm. So I'll first ask a question here you know um dr burgess said science doesn't tell you what to do it actually does it tells you don't smoke okay not only that but i'm just going to share my desktop real quick over here hand washing this is from the cdc okay center for disease and control prevention wash your hands often so for you to tell us that science doesn't tell us what to do that's factually incorrect they tell us a lot of things to do that we have to do. So going back to that, you know, about, about smoking, yes, smoking is considered wrong in Islam. But I think the overall arching question here is, well, okay, so yeah, Islam did save children from fetal alcohol syndrome. So why don't we find, in fact, I'm going to improve that argument a little bit. Why don't we find the cure for, uh, I don't know, for heart disease? Or why don't why don't we find the, the right prescription for insulin in the Quran and for all the other scientific information. So the answer to that is, you know, whatever scientific information we have find in the Quran, which has helped humanity, like for example, not only just, you know, not drinking alcohol, but washing hands. And of course we have the cure for Ebola, AIDS and, and, uh, and I um, can't forget the other one, but anyways, Look at how this has impacted humanity. Muslims do not eat monkey meat. We don't eat those type of animals, which can now cause these type of diseases, which has greatly helped humanity. But wait a second, we don't have the cure for diabetes in the Quran. The answer is you should be grateful, thankful for what you get. The author of the Quran, Allah or God, whoever you believe, he's under no obligation to give you the uh, the cure for all of these things which you are demanding of him. You cannot make demands of him. He has no obligation to do that. Do that. So I hope that answers the question. Yes, it does. Thank you so much for the super chat and that answer. And moving right along, five dollars from Oliver B. Nadir, if God is real, how do you know God does not lie to you? How do you know you're not cattle to him? Yeah, so that's that's what divine revelation is for. His will, his plan is revealed to us through a book, which we believe is the Quran. Now, uh, his revelation was also revealed in previous books. Um, for example, which we which we find in the Bible, as badly damaged as it is, as we saw tonight. His will and plan is also there too. So through the revelation, through the statements, and by and this is an, another way is the God sends prophet to explain to us what is the path to salvation, what is His will, and He gives us evidences to believe, like the scientific evidence we have seen. I think one of the most compelling evidence is 
Muhammad, an, an, an illiterate man in the in the desert, six hundred, I'm sorry, one thousand four hundred years ago, is giving us the cure, the preventive cure for for COVID, for AIDS, for Ebola. That's something amazing, you know. And he then starts a scientific revolution from there, which is known as the Golden Age of Islam, which has benefited all of humanity. So these are the many evidences of why you should believe Islam is true and to follow the Quran as his divine will and plan. Thank you uh, for that super chatted answer. And $10 from NF at Nadir with respect to good instructions that the Holy Book gives. What do you think... Why do you think that it is more probable that God spoke it instead of some smart humans came to the conclusion? Right. So, so I think I, I like the where the questioner is going because now he's beginning to accept that there is congruency between the Quran and modern science. We've got very good information in there which do agree with science. But he's saying, okay, look, let's say that you know, maybe there was a team of scientists. Let's say he himself was a scientist. Let's say that there was this smart group of people out there who could have helped him. Okay, that's let's let's entertain this possibility. The problem is when you start appealing to the to the knowledge of that time, that knowledge is filled with scientific errors. And so you'll probably get some good stuff, but then you're going to get a lot of wrong things as well. And the Quran is incomplete harmony with science. Like, for example, if you're going to be searching for something about the science of alcohol, we saw two correct scientific statements in the Quran regarding that. Well, the knowledge at that time was scientifically incorrect. We do have records on that. People believe that drinking alcohol will lead to plump babies, as well as whole other, you know, misinformation. We know for a fact that the about not eating animals is things about Ebola and what are known as zoonotic diseases. This information was not present in any of those people of the past. So, you know, even if we were to entertain the possibilities, there's no way that you can explain to continuously getting it right every time, each time you make these corrections to the Bible. Thank you so very much for that answer and a $5 super chat from Samar. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. Shouldn't you acquire the evidence first that everything came from nothing before you refute a creator? Okay, that sounds like one for me. Uh, which is a good opportunity uh, to uh, to say that science does not indeed tell you to do or not do anything. Science can tell you about the risks or benefits of doing or not doing things, but science doesn't tell you that. Now, when a doctor or a CDC official tells you to do something or not to do something, uh, they are operating from the assumption that they share the goals of uh, the people that they are they're uh, they're talking to. Uh, you want to live for a long time, et cetera. Uh, and, uh, and they're using scientific information to, to tell them how to achieve those goals. Uh, but where the science comes in is the information itself. Uh, where the science comes in is not the you should wash your hands. It's the you should wash your hands because of parasites. That's the, 
the claim about parasites, the factual claim, that's the science part. But if you're never making that, you're, ne you're neither agreeing nor disagreeing uh, with, uh, with, with science. This is a really basic distinction. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I would have hoped it was clear now or before, but maybe it's clear now. Uh, in any case, uh, as, as far as uh, something coming from nothing, uh, this is the first cause argument, also known as the, uh, the cosmological argument. Uh, that, you know, when you, you say, okay, something can't come from nothing, you say, well, why not? Well, because everything has to have a cause. The obvious problem with that is if you say, well, God has to be the initial cause of everything because everything has to have a cause, you've just contradicted yourself. Because if God is the first cause, then God is by definition the uncaused cause, uh, which is why all of the fancy philosophical versions of this argument don't just say something can't come from nothing. They, they add extra conditions. They say nothing that fill in the blank uh, can, uh, can come about without a cause. Uh, so the, whatever goes in the blank has to be something that wouldn't apply to God. Uh, there, are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of efforts that have been made to come up with something plausible to put in the, the, uh, the blank uh, that's not going to apply to God, but is going to apply to the, the, uh, the physical universe as a whole but that isn't obviously just trying to jerry-rig it to get the answer you want, like every, anything that's not God or whatever. Uh, people say like everything that has a beginning has to have a cause uh, and God, uh, God doesn't have a beginning, so God doesn't need a cause. But then you say, okay, well, why couldn't the universe uh, not, uh, not, have, uh, not have a beginning? Uh, and, uh, and then, um, and, you know, and then you, um, and then you say, well, uh, this is the uh, this is the move that some of Nadir's co-religious made uh, in the uh, in the Middle Ages, uh, the Kalam cosmological argument. Uh, you you say, well, it's because uh, nothing can exist forever because uh, that would be an actual infinity, which is supposedly impossible for some reason. It turns out there's actually no particularly good reason to think that's impossible. It just sounds weird to us. There's nothing logically incoherent about it. But that's the sort of place that argument would go if you really fleshed it out. Which, uh, which I wish we had, because instead we just spent the you know most of the evening talking about this sort of irrelevance about how supposedly there's something there's some reason to believe that the Quran had non-natural origins, which even if it were true, which it's not, would give us no reason whatsoever to believe in the existence of an all-powerful Creator. Thank you so very much for that answer, and he has another five dollar super chat from Samar. Thank you so much for the support. Would you admit there's a chance you're wrong? If so, you die and meet God. Is it reasonable that he would be angry with you for campaigning against him? Yeah, so this is Pascal's wager uh, that the uh, that um, says that the uh, the probability of uh, that you know even if there, you have no way of even if you have no evidence for the existence of God, you should still believe in God. For self-serving reasons, to uh, to you know to to avoid uh, to avoid punishment on the off chance that you're wrong, uh, that you know that you should believe in God as uh, afterlife insurance, which I'm not sure uh, any God worth the salt would, uh, would would be very impressed by. But uh, but even putting that aside, the problem is that uh, a God who wanted you to believe in Him would punish you in the afterlife. A God who was who was shy, who didn't want you to believe in him, might punish you for believing him in the afterlife and reward you for, uh, for, not, for not believing him. 
uh, a, a god uh, who was very particular about which religion you chose and, you know, and picked a different one, would, you know, reward or punish you for that, etc. And, of course, uh, the religious person can, can fairly say, okay, Ben, but you just made that up. I mean, why should I take seriously the idea of a shy god, a god who prefers non-belief to belief? There's no reason to, there's no reason to think that such a god exists. And I would say, very good. Now we're back to arguing about what we should have been arguing all along, which is where's the evidence for any of these versions of God? And I would say that there is none for any of them. Thank you for that question. Then we have another $5 super chat with both a question and then a super serial question. Uh, Mark wants to know, does God exist the subject has been overdone to all hell. He screams, tell me, Ben and Nadir, does a devil exist? And is he in my Overwatch lobby? Uh, no, Nadir. <laughs> so how we know, you know, if the devil exists, this is, of course, is revealed to us through divine revelation, which is uh, what we believe, uh, you know, in the Quran. Yes, there is evil in the world. And, um, whether he exists in wherever you you stated, I, I don't I, I don't think so. I don't know. These are things which I don't think any of us would. I, I think the guy is basically joking there, so I'm not going to take him seriously. So, but just I want to just point out one thing. You know, CDC says wash your hands. So when I tell my kid, hey, wash your hands, I'm not agreeing with science. There's nothing scientifically correct or wrong about that answer. So I can never claim, hey, listen, I'm just giving them a scientifically right advice. This is the logic which Dr. Burgess is trying to uh, give us to try to explain away the scientific agreement with the Quran. I don't know if anyone's here going to buy that. Thank you so very much for that response and for your super chat, Mark. And then a $5 super chat from Sergio. Nadir, your entire position, the cop-out, justify murdering apostates? underage marriage and women as property without saying that it's God's will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know, I think this guy is doing some damage control here. I think that the case for the scientific, there is a clear, consistent frequency of the of, of the Quran making scientifically correct corrections uh, to the Bible. He can't beat that case either. So what he's doing, he's throwing all kinds of mud. He's trying to introduce topics which really are not you know, the subject of tonight's debate. But I would say, no, that he has misunderstood all of the things which you have mentioned. Invite me back here. and We can debate all that. You know, oh I, I have my. no problem with that. Sounds good to me. It sounds like more modern day debates. And all right. Thank you for your super chat and that response, uh, Sergio. But then a $5 super chat from Lone Dro. Nadir, you can't only count the hits and ignore the misses. The Quran is blatantly incorrect on facts regarding embryos and semen production and more. Yeah, the Quran is 100% correct on embryology. The Quran is 100% correct on semen production. And it is the atheists, it is the Christians and other people who try to challenge our evidence they're the ones running away from the debate over here. I'm ready to debate these things. I'm ready, but it, I, I don't want to mention any names, but people like Aaron Ra and others than them, 
I've they know that they cannot win a debate on alleged scientific errors in the Quran because the Quran is in 100% agreement with modern science. They're the ones who are running away, but I'm ready to address all these claims. And if you look at the past debates on these topics, I think they were very successful and we clearly uh, successfully argued for the complete scientific accuracy of the Quran, which is different from what we've seen in the Bible. But my, I, like I said, I'm ready for all these challenges. The, now it's in your guys' hands to go get your guy to come debate me. You heard it now. Come one, come all. We're looking for more challenges. And uh, send in love to Lone Dro. And thank you for that response. And then a $5 super chat from Tropes. Nadir, when science and the CDC told you to refrain from worship at the local mosque, did you comply? If so, does science trump your God? Yeah, I did for two years. I don't think I went to the mosque for two years. And even now when I go, uh, I, I go with a mask and I'm like in the way back. I don't go near people. So to answer your question, yes. And all right. Uh, thank you for all of those super chats. We have about 15 more minutes left in the Q&A. So if you want to guarantee that your question is read and sent to the front of the line. Keep on sending in those super chats, and we appreciate all the love. But a question from Yudif, send in love from Yudif, a question for Ben, Devil's Advocate. If not deism, then where do rights come from? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, in when you say you should wash your hands because you live in a society where everybody knows about parasites, etc. Uh, then it's reasonable to assume that your reason for that is that you have that knowledge. When somebody in a society where uh, you know where that's not widely known says you should do something and they don't list that reason, we have no reason whatsoever to believe that that's their reason. That's a really basic distinction. Uh, as far as the uh, the question about uh, where rights come from, uh, so the idea that uh, that you know moral rights uh, come from from God or that morality in general comes from God, this is called divine command ethics. That things are right uh, because uh, because God uh, wants them; they're wrong because God doesn't want them. So in this case, for example, you could say that uh, we uh, that the reason that it would be morally wrong to violate certain rights is that God would disapprove of this. And the obvious uh, objection to this, this has, been, uh, this has been widely known for thousands of years, is called the, uh, the Euthyphro objection. This is from a dialogue uh, by Plato uh, in ancient Greece uh, called the Euthyphro, where Socrates is arguing with this ancient Greek pagan priest who says the holy is that which the gods love. And Socrates asks him this simple question, which is do the gods love it because it's holy? or is it holy uh, because the gods love it? And translated it into the language of the question, it would be, uh, do we have, you know, would it be morally wrong to oppress people in these ways, to deny them these rights because God disapproves of it, or does God disapprove of it because it's morally wrong? Now, if you go with the second option, you say God disapproves of it because it's morally wrong, uh, then you've just abandoned divine command ethics. You said that there must be some reason other than God's disapproval that it's morally wrong. On the other hand, if you go with the first option and you say that um, that it's only morally wrong because God disapproves of it, then you get this shocking result 
that it would not be morally wrong if God didn't approve of it, that, uh, that, if, that if God uh, wanted uh, everybody to uh, have their work, you know, their organs harvested involuntarily, et cetera, then that would be right. Uh, that if uh, if God uh, you know commanded you to uh, you know go forth and kill whoever slightly annoys you and uh, and and rape whoever you desire and so on, that these things would be morally right. Now, I think most people, when they're first presented with this argument, uh, that you know they say, "Oh, well, that's that's silly uh, because because God is wouldn't command you to do those horrible things because those things are morally wrong and God is good." But notice that if you say that, you've just stepped away from divine command ethics, because if you say that, you know, God wouldn't command those horrible things because those things are wrong and God is good, then you're saying that those things are wrong for some reason other than God's disapproval of them, which is exactly why it's the uh, it's the case that, um, that even... Um, you know, theistic philosophers, right? Philosophers who do believe in God, uh, who uh, who are aware of these issues. Why many of them have rejected divine command ethics? They say, "Look, God, um, it, you know, it, God could be completely morally good. So God wants you to do only the bad, the good things, and not do the bad things. But they're good or bad for some reason other than what God says. And whatever that reason would be, and which is obviously a giant philosophical question. That's the entire field of metaethics." Uh, then, but whatever the answer is, it's equally available to the atheist and the agnostic as to the theist. Thank you so very much for your response and question from Harsh Reality. This is a question for Nadir. Why did Muhammad often have semen all over his clothes, lots of references, but one example is Shaha al Bakari 232. Now, this is, you know, I think what, what's happening is um, there's some nefarious people in the chat who are throwing rotten tomatoes. And I'm not going to answer these, uh, you know, these type of insults and things like that. I think they, they watch this debate and they're not happy with the outcome. And so they're engaging in this type of rotten tomato throwing. So I'm just going to pass on that. Sounds good. Thank you for that response. And I am trying to, we always say we're always looking for attacks on arguments, not the people. But I always want to uh, like to think everyone has a good faith. So thank you for all your questions and love so far, as long as our, especially our two interlocutors. Uh, more of a, I guess, a, a, a joke question, but Defeat Hypocrisy just wants to know if any of you partake in cannabis. No. Uh, you know, uh, everyone's a great while, but uh, I'm middle-aged and boring now, so so, so, so not, uh, you know, very, uh, very seldomly. There we go. And Origami wants to know, ask Nadir, what's the cure for AIDS? So the preventive cure for AIDS is not eating monkeys. So basically, it, how the AIDS virus came about, it is through the consumption of, of eating monkeys. And um, when you look inside from the Hadith, the Prophet Muhammad, uh, he forbade the eating of animals with fangs. So this is the preventive cure for for the spread of these zoonotic diseases. 
and not just um, you know past pandemics, but also future pandemics. And I think the question, which, which is the astonishing question, is how could a man 1,400 years ago have this type of precise scientific knowledge, which has, as you can see, such a huge impact on humanity? Thank you for your response. And then from Baked Alaska, is marrying a six-year-old, consummating the marriage when she was nine, a healthy practice and consistent with science? Mm -hmm. Now, science, I'm sorry, the Islam does not promote child marriage at all. And we can, of course, debate that at a later time. But so uh, the Quran, once again, on the issue of who to marry is in complete harmony with science. And I will say, this is the last five minutes, folks. So if you want to guarantee your question gets read, please send in super chats. But uh, we do want to respect our interlocutors' time. But I really do want to thank everyone who's been sending love and questions as well as spending time with us. Um, from Origami, ask how if the Quran tested the fetal alcohol syndrome, did they test and repeat it and get it peer-reviewed? How did they come up with their conclusion? So, you know, to answer that question, you know, the, the argument, which I think you might be misunderstanding here, is the Quran gave a scientifically correct answer on alcohol. The impact of that was that it saved millions of children from fetal alcohol syndrome, according to the scientific literature, which I showed you in my opening. Now, the canard which was presented today was, no, you have to now, we're not even going to acknowledge or even give credit to the Quran unless you specifically state that the reason why you gave the correct answer is because you were trying to save children from FAS. So, you know, as I said, this has been refuted. I think this, this, you know, this, this was some kind of defense mechanism which Dr. Burgess tried to present to us to try to save himself from, uh, from the mathematical, the math which was mounting up against him. Wait a second, you cannot keep getting, making scientifically correct statements right every time, each time, and he says, oh, sure you can, just so long as you just don't state the reasons why you're doing it. Does this make sense to any of This is nonsense, you know? So that means that you can copy answers. Let's say there's a, uh, you know, there's a, well, I, I won't give the answer of copying, but what I would say is, so that means you can consistently keep making scientifically correct answers. You could go 100 down in the row, and according to Dr. Birch, oh, I don't see anything there. Did you, did you state the reason why you're giving that scientifically correct answer? Like I said, I'm not even going to debate that. I think the audience, I think I've convinced majority of the people the audience that this was some kind of cop-out answer because he wasn't able to beat the science of the Quran. Man, I want to see a poll on that. And a super chat that just came in from Tropes. Ben, do you have morals? If so, what's the justification for saying something is wrong or right? Is your morality subjective or objective? Yeah. So, uh, so of course, uh, of course, like everybody else, uh, I there are, there are moral statements uh, that I uh, that I would agree or, or disagree with. Uh, that that's uh, so I, I take it that's what uh, do you have uh, do you have morals means? 
but on the question of objectivity and subjectivity, the point about the Euthyphro dilemma is that adding belief in God, you know, obviously these are incredibly deep philosophical waters about whether there's some sense or another in which morality is objective, what it could even mean to say that morality is objective. But the, pro the point is these problems exist every bit as much for theists as for atheists. There is nothing about adopting theism that helps you in any way, shape or form to solve those problems. Because if you say, that um, you know, if you say that the uh, that uh, the only reason why something is morally wrong is that God disapproves of it, then you're committing yourself to the belief that uh, that if you know there was an all powerful but sociopathic creator of the universe uh, who uh, who approved of suffering, then causing suffering would therefore be good. That uh, when we were considering such a universe, you know, maybe we should morally admire people who uh, who inflict as much suffering as possible. I don't think anybody really believes that. Uh, and uh, and so adding the assumption of the existence of God does you absolutely nothing to help you uh, to establish uh, the objectivity of morality, whatever you, you know, whatever that ends up uh, actually meaning. Uh, and I have to say, I love uh, Nadir's, uh, Nadir's claim uh, that uh, that he's convinced most people in the audience, uh, uh, man, uh, please speak up one way or the other in the chat because because I really, I mean, I wish we could do a poll on this right now. Uh, my guess would be different. And all right, I am going to read a question, a follow-up, and I think the last Super Chat, and that is going to be it. Uh, you could try to sneak one more last Super Chat in, but that is going to be the end, I think, of... The uh, questions I'll ask from Debate Archive and Highlights. Why do you still bring up alcohol according to the Quran? Allah is forbidden, or uh, Allah has forbidden alcohol because it's good, and Allah made it as a miracle. Uh, says Christian Prince exposed this. Uh, but yes, what is your, why do you still bring up alcohol according to Quran? Allah is forbidden because it's, uh, yeah. yes. So, yeah, so let me just kind of uh, respond to that. So basically, I think this person has been watching some YouTube videos, which are sham debates created by Christian Prince. What a sham debate is, is basically where you try to control when your opponent can speak, what he can say, and mute him at any time. Christian Prince conducted a sham debate with me on alcohol. And so and so I actually did refute him, but I was muted. And I just walked away. I said, listen, CP, we could have this type of debate, no problem. But why don't you come here to modern day debate where we can have a fair debate on this subject? And let it show for the record that coward ran away. So you should bear witness that Christian Prince is a fraud and a deceiver. And the reason why he ran away, because he knows I have a, I have some background on Quran and science. I have some level of expertise. So there were some of his followers who actually noted that, that CP dodged the bullet on coming here to modern day debate and debate that. So they actually uh, approached uh, James to try to set up that debate to see if CP is really who he claims to be. And that little, that uh, yellow-bellied coward ran away. So I will ask you, Go on to Christian Prince's live stream or whatever he has, Skype or something, and say, listen, 
you got to go to MDD, Modern Day Debate, if you really are what you claim you are. Because this is a fair platform. Amy conducted a, a fair debate. She's not going to mute you and, and jerk you around at the mic like the, like the antics which CP did. So don't fall for his tricks. Uh, there are two scientifically correct answers on alcohol which corrected the mistake in the Bible. And bring CP over here and we can debate that. The spice is real, and thank you so much for the answer and the question. And I just have to say, we are always looking for more debaters on Modern Day Debate. Uh, but a follow-up from Samar from his super chat. If species evolve by chance, why have reproductive parts? And what compels them to have sex to multiply? They could just live until they die off, right? doesn't seem like it's their will. I lost the thread of that somewhere in the uh, middle. Sure, and I, so let's see. If species evolve by chance, why have reproductive parts and what compels them to have sex to multiply? They could just live until they die off, right? Doesn't seem like it's their will. Okay, so I think that's a question for me. Um, and, uh, and you're talking about random chance, which makes me think that you're not quite getting the other half of the equation. So uh, evolution by natural selection, which by the way, uh, seems to be something that the Quran does not get right, get right. talks about the first humans being made out of clay. I'm sure Nadir has a way of explaining that away. But uh, in any case, uh, you know, says there's a random chance component, which is random mutation, but then there is a significant non-random element, which is selective pressure that you have, uh, that uh, you've got a range of, uh, of uh, that exists due to random mutation. And then uh, the ones with traits uh, that uh, make it easier for them to survive and to pass on their genes are the ones uh, who are more likely to, uh, to survive. Uh, so, so that's this, you know, evolution is not the claim that things came about in a completely random way. It's the thing, it's the claim, uh, that organisms came about by this, this combination of mutation and natural selection. Uh, and the last part of the question, I have to admit, I didn't quite understand that it, it sort of, uh, went on a, um, you know, went on some kind of, uh, you know, some kind of right turn there that I didn't follow. That's okay. Thank you so very much for your answer. In fact, thank you to everyone who sent in their questions, their super chat. This is the last super chat and question for the night from Minecraft player for $5 to Ben. What is the best argument in your opinion for God? Yeah. Uh, I think the uh, the best argument for God is probably the argument from cosmological fine tuning uh, that uh, you say there are these you know basic physical constants that uh, it's it's just massively unlikely not uh, not supposedly unlikely like something that with a fifty fifty chance happened a few times but uh, but really you know truly unlikely on the level of like uh searching for one particle in the universe except you have billions and billions of universes that you'd have exactly these physical constants and uh and not other ones and when you run the numbers 
it can really uh, give an atheist pause uh, that the uh, that this 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 sounds uh, this sounds so unlikely. Uh, the reason that I still don't find this argument uh, especially convincing uh, is. Um, Base, is basically two things. One is that the uh, that uh, again, much like a lot of these other arguments, it assumes not only that we're talking that the only God we're talking about is one that intended for us to come about, but of course, God could have any intentions uh, that don't necessarily have to have, to have anything to uh, to to do with us. So, uh, so if uh, you know that this the particular God who wanted this particular outcome. Uh, is uh, is more likely given this, but you could you know you could have any god who uh, who wanted any outcome. And the other half of it is that uh, is that there is a more general problem with just going from well this particular outcome is unlikely given these star specific starting conditions, and it'd be very unlikely given this other specific starting condition. Therefore, it must have been that other one. And to see what's wrong with that. Think about uh, getting dealt like the uh, the Ace of Spades out of a randomly shuffled deck of fifty two cards. Only one out of fifty two chance of that. Uh, whereas if the dealer was cheating somehow to make sure that you got the Ace of Spades, there would be a fifty two out of fifty two chance, or you know maybe you could mess up somehow so it wouldn't be quite fifty two out of fifty two, but it would be uh, it would be close. Uh, and uh, that's clearly not a good reason for thinking after a single deal that uh, that the dealer was cheating. And it would still not be a good reason, no matter how many, if you changed it from 52 cards to 52 billion, 52 trillion, 52 Googleplex, or whatever, the structure of the argument would still be the same. Woo-hoo! Thank you so very much. In thank, in thank, in fact, I hope you all enjoyed tonight's debate on modern day debate. We are, in fact, a neutral platform welcoming everybody from all walks of life. If you're looking for even more fantastic debates, we are now all over the internet, including your favorite podcasting platform. So if you enjoy debates like the one tonight, please don't forget to like, follow, or subscribe. It helps us reach an even wider audience, including tonight's debate on Is There a God? with our debaters, Dr. Ben and Nadir Ahmed, here to help us find that answer. Plus, if you like what any of our interlocutors have had to say tonight, all of their links are in the description below. Finally, if you're looking for even more fun, after the show, feel free to check out the Modern Day Debate Discord. And with that, I am Amy Newman with Modern Day Debate. We hope you continue having great conversations, discussions, and debates. Good night. Mwah. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.